the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hi, I'm Hugh Hewitt. Thank you for listening to the Town Hall Review Podcast, where we bring you the best voices on the stories and issues that matter. Our podcast is brought to you through partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy and ADF, the Alliance Defending Freedom. Here's a piece that I trust you'll enjoy. A decisive action by President Trump, advised by his international security cabinet, the vice president, Secretary Pompeo, Secretary Esper, Robert O'Brien, deserves sustained applause and don't get it on the show today. Four and a half, five years ago, I interviewed Donald Trump, September of, I guess it's four and a half, September of 2015. He didn't know who Qasem Soleimani was. But when the opportunity came, he had him killed, and all the previous presidents had given him a pass. The leading exporter of terror from Iran joining me to discuss this decisive and, I think, very, very uh, applause-worthy action is Dr. Michael Oren, former Deputy Minister of Israel for Diplomacy, formerly Israel's Ambassador to the United States and a historian of the Middle East. Dr. Oren, good morning. Thanks for joining us two days in a row. It's my pleasure. It's, Get, uh, it's an important event. Give us your perspective as a historian and as an Israeli as to the importance of yesterday's uh, uh, killing of, of Soleimani. Qasem Soleimani is responsible for not tens of thousands of deaths, maybe hundreds of thousands of deaths in our region. He's responsible for the displacement of millions. He is responsible for repeated efforts to kill Israelis, kill Americans, kill Arabs, certainly. Um, and, and no figure in the Middle East, I think, is more deserving of the fate in which he received. Uh, I think for Israelis, and not just for Israelis, for all of Iran's adversaries in this region, that is all the Sunni Arab states, uh, the return of American deterrence is absolutely crucial. It follows a period of, of concern, and we've discussed it on the program, Hugh, uh, American withdrawal from Syria, the non-response to the attack uh, on Saudi Arabia and the shooting down of an American drone. It, it, we feel like America's back. And Iran wasn't going to be stopped. Iran was going to keep on conquering the Middle East, keep on killing uh, people in this region and beyond. And now someone's put their foot down. Now, you and I have talked before. Donald Trump exercised restraint when the Iranians uh, kidnapped oil takers, when they shot down an American drone, when they attacked the Saudi Arabian oil facilities. Restraint, restraint, restraint. This time, though... He killed an American. We killed some of his terrorists. He attacked our embassy. Donald Trump killed the number two guy in Iran. Is it fair to call Soleimani the number two guy? Yeah, he's the number two guy, but he's actually the person with the finger on the trigger. And uh, you know, what's interesting is that if you look back at, at, at the president's response to these Iranian provocations, he kept on saying, well, no American has been killed. They haven't killed an American yet. So you can read from that uh, a, a red line. You can discern a red line there. The Iranians crossed the red line. And the fact that America stood by that red line is of crucial importance uh, for this region, and not just for the region, for the world. And uh, I'm, I'm following the American media very closely. Of course, the New York Times condemning this, uh, you know, a, a wanton escalation. Um, what area of the world do they think we live in? Uh, do you think that if you throw the Iranians billions of dollars under the Iran nuclear deal, 
that if you give them legitimacy, they're not going to conquer large swaths of the Middle East. They're not going to invest massively in terror. They're not going to try to provide tens and tens of thousands of missiles uh, that can destroy this country. Um, I mean, it's that type of naivete. It, for us, it's, uh, you know, we, we shake our heads in wonder, uh, but we're also uh, very grateful for the restoration of American deterrence. Vice President Biden, now running to be Donald Trump's replacement, said this morning in a statement that Donald Trump had, quote, tossed a stick of dynamite into a tinderbox. I don't know that that's wrong, but I also don't care. I think it was necessary to do that, as it is sometimes necessary to take down old buildings and take out enemies. What do you make of Vice President Biden's reaction? I'll say that that there were multiple fuses leading to this tinderbox that had been lit a long time ago. And frankly, the the biggest fuse was the Iran nuclear deal, uh, which gave Iran the money and the cover to extend uh, its hegemony around the Middle East to provide uh, these long-range missiles. And, and to surround Israel strategically uh, while retaining its military nuclear infrastructure, its intercontinental ballistic missiles, its blueprints for a nuclear weapon. Uh, and in a couple of years, when the flimsy restrictions on the Iran nuclear deal wear off, Iran will not only have conquered much of the Middle East, but actually have the potential to create hundreds of nuclear weapons, all because of this deal. So if you want to look at anybody who lit a fuse, uh, I would look back at uh, at former Vice President uh, Biden's administration. Now, Dr. Oren, I believe as well that every malign actor in the world saw that yesterday. And they said to themselves, I have to be very careful with Donald Trump and Mike Pompeo and Mike Esper and Vice President Pence and Robert O'Brien. I have to be very careful in what I do and how I provoke them because... Uh, for this president, red lines are red lines. Am I uh, am I just uh, trying to make a, a controversial action seem to me to be a, a question of deterrence? Well, I think there's also an element of unpredictability about this president, uh, which in international affairs, what can I say, is, is sometimes a, is sometimes a, an advantage. Uh, I used to always say that under the Obama administration, I knew as ambassador. Pretty much 95% of the time I knew what that administration was going to do. The situation is pretty much reversed sometimes under this administration, but that has an advantage, not being predictable. And uh, I don't think the Iranians were expecting this. I think it caught them off guard. And I think the fact that it caught them off guard further restores American deterrence because not predictable. Now, there are two things going on, three, really. I want to talk about Israel, Iraq, and Iran in that order. What precautions are you taking in Israel? What do you expect the short-term and long-term effects in Iraq, which is deeply divided along sectarian lines, but where hundreds of Iraqis opposed to Iranian intervention have been murdered in the past few weeks? And in Iran, a thousand uh, individual Iranians have been murdered by the IRGC in the streets, shot dead for demonstrating. So three countries, three reactions. What do you expect? Well, in Israel, it's interesting. Our, our elected leaders, or as it is, our unelected leaders here uh, are staying mum, uh, keeping a very low profile. Um, and But Israel is bracing itself. It's interesting, you know, our, our one ski resort is on Mount Hermon, and it's open maybe two or three weeks out of the year. Many people earn their living off those two or three weeks. Uh, Israel has closed down the Mount Hermon uh, ski resort uh, for fear that Iranian rockets may be coming over Mount Hermon from Syria. Syria. So so we're braced. Uh, Our chief of staff just last week talked about, uh, described the scenario of a war, which was very similar to what I had written in that Atlantic uh, Monthly article, talking about a war on all fronts, Israel being hit by thousands of rockets, and how we're going to strike back uh, all around us. So we're, we're braced and geared. 
Now, it's maybe too early to depict what's going to happen, to predict what's going to happen in Iraq and Iran. My sense is of the Middle East, people in the Middle East respect strength, uh, like most human beings, but they respect what they call in this area the strong horse, not the weak horse. And what America has done now is shown strength. And I think that ultimately uh, will fortify the anti-Iranian forces in Iraq and the anti-regime forces and people uh, in Iran itself. Now, Iran is supposed to have sleeper cells around the world. A, do they? B, do you expect them to be used? And if so, under what sort of time frame do people have to be on alert? Well, let's remember that Iran is the largest uh, state sponsor of terror in the world. And yes, it has undertaken several terrorist plots uh, in Europe. It has killed Israelis in Europe. It, is, um, it was responsible for the 1994 bombing of the Buenos Aires uh, Jewish Center, which killed 85 people and wounded hundreds. So Iran has proven its ability and commitment uh, to uh, mount terrorist attacks around the world. In 2011, the Iranians were going to conduct a terrorist attack in downtown Washington, uh, assassinating the Saudi ambassador. And I must say, it was, as Israeli's ambassador, Israel's ambassador at the time, I was also targeted. Um, and uh, so here, here are the Iranians willing to assassinate two foreign ambassadors in the capital of the United States of America. And that was before the Iran nuclear deal. Imagine what they're willing to do now. You so, brought yes, the, we all have to be on our guard. We, we do have to be on our guard, and I'll stress that today. You just mentioned the $150 billion that the Obama administration gave to Iran as part of the nuclear deal. Is it fair, as I have said, that that 150 went from Khamenei's hands into the control of Soleimani and into the export of terror? Well, it didn't go to building schools and roads and bridges, did it? <laughs> okay, and, and we predicted it wouldn't. And that's why the people are protesting in the streets of, 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 of Iranian cities. Of course, it went directly for terror. And, you know, the great irony was that the Europeans were so happy to give the Iranians this money. Uh, and the Iranians used the money to ethnically cleanse Syria of Sunnis, replacing them with Shiites. And you know where the Sunnis went to. They went to Europe. Europe was basically funding its own sort of suicide, <laughs> its own crises. And uh, you, you can't make this stuff up. Uh, and Israel, Israelis, we, we sat on the side with our, our mouths hanging open and shaking our heads. Somebody actually thought that by throwing all this money and legitimacy at Iran, it would transform this regime into a, respons- into a responsible regional power and strengthen the moderates. Well, guess what? Yeah, that, that no. someone's got a lot of names. Barack Obama, Joe Biden, Ben Rhodes, uh, Susan Rice. It's got a lot of names at someone. John Kerry. Can you hold over the bank, Dr. Warren? I want to talk to you about the coming conflict, if you don't mind. I'll be right back. Dr. Michael Oren is joining us from Israel this morning in the aftermath of the assassination of Iranian Quds Force Commander Qassam Soleimani, as well as other terrorists in an American drone strike. We've owned it. We are not shy about it. President Trump hasn't taken a bow, but he has certainly taken responsibility. And it's an unequivocally, unequivocally good thing that Soleimani is dead. Don't go anywhere, America. It's for you, Hewitt Show. Welcome back, America. It's Hugh Hewitt. 22 minutes after the hour, I'm joined from Israel by Dr. Michael Oren, former deputy minister for diplomacy of that state, former Israeli ambassador to the United States. Dr. Oren, Iran has 81 million people. They have a GDP of somewhere between 400 and 500 billion dollars, but they do have long range missiles. They they are within months of breaking into a nuclear weapon power status. A lot of people are saying this is the guns of August going off. It's like the assassination of the Archduke in 1914. What's your assessment of those claims and of Iran's ability to launch a major uh, attack on Israel and the region? 
um, well, Israel, they can launch a major attack on Israel. But keep in mind, Iran doesn't have, you know, tank formations. It doesn't have an air force. Its planes go back to the 1970s. Yes, it has a missile capacity. It can hit Israel. Uh, it cannot hit the United States. Not yet. It does not have a nuclear weapon yet. And all this talk, that you know, it was a very common uh, slogan of the previous administration in Washington that the only alternative to diplomacy was war. Uh, and, and that was a false dichotomy, Hugh. The alternative to diplomacy was tougher diplomacy backed up by a credible military force. And that credible military force would mostly uh, be, be posed from the air at 50,000 feet, at, at which height Iran could not touch American warplanes. Um, so we're not – everyone has in the back of their minds, particularly in the United States, the, the, the two Gulf Wars, the invasion of, of, of Iraq, uh, particularly in 2003 – but no one's talking about the American army invading Iran. That, that's ridiculous. But now we've seen how, from the air, uh, America can inflict punishing prohibitive damage uh, on Iran and, and deter it. Um, and Ronald Reagan did the same thing in the Gulf area in the 1980s uh, with the reflagging operation of the Kuwaiti freighters when the American Navy, U.S. Navy, bombed uh, Iranian uh, coastal installations and deterred the Iranians. So I, I, I reject the false dichotomy. Yes, there's a credible military response uh, backed by diplomacy. If the Iranians want to come back to the table and, and, and negotiate a deal that will meet America's requirements, meet Israel's requirements, won't hope as well, um, that can only happen through a continued very credible military threat. Secretary Pompeo is on the record many times saying Iran can rejoin the international order very quickly if it just stops acting like a rogue regime. There are things they would have to do to do that. But I'd like to close by asking, we know Israel's response is uh, satisfied, applause, though muted at this point, and watching and waiting. People are being quiet. In the Arab states that are in an entente with with, uh, Israel now, undeclared but real, Jordan and Egypt and Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates and Kuwait and, to a lesser extent, uh, uh, Qatar, uh, Oman, what is their reaction? Are they pleased today? I think everybody is going to breathe a sigh of relief that America's back and American deterrence has been restored. Uh, we in Israel, we have to be very careful. We don't want to be blamed for dragging Israel and the United States into a war. We can defend ourselves by ourselves. Yes, we will be happy to receive American logistical and diplomatic support should we get into a battle. And we could well be the target of Iranian revenge uh, for uh, uh, Soleimani's uh, death, his assassination. But we'd rather face it now than five years from now. And I think everybody in the Middle East feels uh, the same way. Iran is getting stronger. Its agenda is expanding. Its missile capacity is expanding better now uh, than then. And we're prepared. There will be, last question, there will be hotheads in Iran. There, it, there will be people who caution that the United States is now obviously uh, poised and ready to strike back. But it all comes down to Khamenei. I'm just, I'm asking, am I correct about that? This is all up to an 80-year-old um, religious zealot. Infirm, yes, infirm medieval jihadist. It, it's, uh, is, yeah. it, it does come down to him, right? Yeah, I, I have to, my old professor was Bernard Lewis. Remember, remember oh, great yes. historian. He used to say that, remember that for, uh, for people like Khamenei, right, um, and mutually assured destruction is, is it actually a blessing because it ensures their place in heaven. Uh, so you have to think about, you know, how he sees this. And I don't know whether how, much, how deeply he cares about his population. Obviously don't because they don't give them the money they got under the, their own nuclear deal. They gave it all to arms and terror. Um, 
yeah, it's up to him, and I don't think there's a, I don't think there's an accurate way of predicting anything he'll do, other than to brace ourselves for every possible uh, exigency, including a war with Iran. Dr. Michael Oren, on that sober note, I appreciate you joining me two days in a row. No one better to talk to than a historian, an experienced diplomat, an experienced government official, and a tanker. That's what he does when he puts on his IDF uniform in the old days, got into tanks. Thank you, Dr. Oren. Thank you for listening to the Town Hall Review. Our program is coming today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership programs offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you enjoy your podcast, take a moment, tell a friend to subscribe today.